Welcome to the Double Unfiltered Podcast. We are your hosts, our Mary, Dr. Nafi, and Anafai Badnar. We are here to engage, educate, and hopefully empower you. This week's episode is going to be about breast cancer awareness. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women worldwide. And October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, an annual campaign to increase awareness of the disease And the goal is to get as many people as possible involved in raising awareness and funds to help support life-saving research and life-changing support. Now, when it comes to breast cancer, today we have with us one of the premier, most amazing women in Gambia who is leading the charge when it comes to breast cancer awareness. And her name is Ida Sisinjai. Ida Sisi, please introduce yourself to our audience. Hello, you beautiful ladies and everybody who's listening out there. My name is Aida Sisenjai, and I am a cancer survivor, a co-founder of Fascia, which is fighting against cancer in Africa. And I am currently based in Gambia and doing uh, cancer awareness, uh, support, uh, raising awareness, uh, and all other things that include and not limited to patient support, uh, providing palliative care, uh, referrals for patients. And also I do have a full-time job. Um, I am a program officer at uh, WFP and also a mom of a set of twins that are 13. Awesome. Wow. Welcome, Ida. Welcome. So great having you. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. So Ida, today we're going to start the episode with asking to hear your story and you can be as, as transparent, as frank, as open as you please, um, share only what you're comfortable sharing. We will ask the questions. If you don't want to go into any of the topics that we bring up, please just let us know and we will just, you know, back off and give you the space to share what you feel comfortable sharing with the audience. I know being one of the most visible breast cancer awareness faces in Gambia, it leaves you in a very vulnerable space, right? You feel like you're sharing your story over and over again. But then this audience right here, the Devil Unfiltered um, listeners, most of whom probably haven't heard your story before. So even though to you, you've done it a couple of times and you feel like this is, I feel like a broken record at this point, we want you to just give us everything you're comfortable giving us because for a lot of us, it's going to be the first time hearing it. I saw on your Facebook page that you were actually at a radio station with Maria Macaulay, and I refused to listen to it because I wanted this time having you on our show to -hmm. be the first time I actually hear your story. Mm -hmm. Um, But first, what I'll do is go into starting with mammograms. I just turned 40. Everybody knows because I can't stop. Shut up talking about it um i'm happy to be thank you thank you sis i'm so happy to be part of the 40s club 40 and fabulous the 40s club it is the bomb club yeah mm-hmm. listen i feel it and i feel so welcome everyone i'm like i'm 40 they're like yes life starts at 40 so 40 welcome to the 40 and fabulous life <laughs> yes, I decided it was time to go and get my mammogram. And I know 40 is a little bit early, but my backstory is that I have breast cancer on both my mom's side of the family as well as my dad's side of the family, mm-hmm. right? So I'm what I guess you would consider someone high risk. Mm-hmm. 
or highly likely to get it since I have it on both sides. So I shared that with my doctor and my doctor was like, yes, 40 is good for you to have your first mammogram. Mm -hmm. Now, I am proud to say that when I was a teenager, I was the president of the itty bitty titty committee. (laughs) My boobs were so small. I never thought like they'll grow. Right. And now I have what you call must dolly. These are (laughs) double D breasts and they're long like batante. Batante is eggplant to those who are non-Walla speakers. So when I went in for my my mammogram, I was kind of nervous. I didn't know what to expect. And my husband went with me and um, it was actually such a quick process and I was so relieved and the lady that came to take me to the back you know came was like hey Anna Butner we can go to the back of course my husband comes and he's like she's like oh no no sir you wait here you know because there's other women here and they're exposed he was like oh I don't mind looking at other boobs I was like no you go sit your butt down (laughs) (laughs) so I went to the back and there was a machine there was a you stand in front of an x-ray machine and they give you some kind of a skirt to wear um, mm-hmm. to cover your 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 belly and, and below. And then you take off what you have on, which is like this gown, but that opens in the front. And they also gave me wipes to wipe off any deodorant or perfume that I had um, in my armpits. And I did that. And then um, they pre- pressed my, my must dollies, which are my double D boobs on this plastic plate. And then there's another plate, which they firmly press onto my breast from above, right? And I thought it was going to be painful, but it actually wasn't, and it was very quick. So there's a lot of anxiety and fear when it comes to getting mammograms, because a lot of people just don't know what to expect. And I was one of those people. So I was very pleasantly surprised that the process was quick. It was easy. It also helped that, like I said, I got big boobs. So I was able to just throw those bad boys on the plate. They press it. They were able to capture the, the, the visuals that they needed and then repeated the same process for the second breast. And then I was out of there. An hour later, um, I got a message that said that, that my results are in the portal that I can log in and check my, my results. And I got um, positive results back that there was no detection of any cancer cells so that I, I was good to go. So that's my experience with mammogram. And this just happened last week. So I'll Mary, I'll pass it over to you so you can share with us what your experience was like. Um, so mine, I actually had my first, um, mammogram at 24, um, right after I had my son. Um, and it's because I felt like different, like lump sizes around my breast and pain, lots of pain on my right side, um, breast. And at that time I was wondering what the hell, like, why would that hurt? Then, um, the doctors were saying there are possibly um, possible milk dots um, that were blocked or something. That's why it hurts. So I went in for an ultrasound and first they thought, you know, like, what are you doing so young here? But anyway, so I, I did the ultrasound and then um, they requested that I also drew, um, no, the mammogram. Then they also requested that I do an ultrasound, which um, they did. And after that, it was like detected. I have like, like, you know, just a very lump, like very two lumpy breasts. Both of them were 
and then I would have to be monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, also because uh, my grandmother died of breast cancer, my aunt as well, my mom's side of the family, my maternal aunt and my mm-hmm. maternal grandmother. Um, so it has been since then, I get my annual mammograms. I've been getting them for, I don't know now, I guess 24 to 42, about 17 years now, I get them. And then um, maybe about... Um, maybe 10, no, eight years ago, I, um, I had my first surgery to remove two, um, uh, I don't know what they call it, lymphatic, I guess, some sort of uh, lymph, um, lymphatic, but benign um, uh, cyst uh, that were on my right side breast. And then I had one about four years ago, also removed, four or five years ago, I can't keep up now. And so because of that, when I first had the surgery, um, I have to go every uh, every six months now. So every six months, I'm, I'm considered high risk. So I go for ultrasound and, um, and mammogram, so for both. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that, I think, for maybe about eight years now. Um, and this past recent, um, visit was what in August, right before I went for Gam- to Gambia, they found a new, uh, new lump, both in the left and the right. So they did a biopsy mm-hmm. and both of them, luckily, um, they are benign or benign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I just have to continue the process. So I'm just one mm-hmm. of those that have to go twice a year. Mm-hmm. to get the ultrasound and the mammogram because sometimes the machine cannot detect it. And the type of ultrasound that I have, it's a different machine that actually goes through the, the tissue. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure enough of you can, you know, mm-hmm. the type of machine it is. It goes through mm-hmm. the density of the, of the mm-hmm. tissue mm-hmm. because of the, the kind of tissue, I guess, the, uh, that I have around my breast. So I've actually considered just going ahead and just cut my breast off and get it over with. And and just like get fake ones and just live a happy life because I'm just so sick and tired of going in and pressing. And you, Anna, for saying like, oh, you just go in and they just press it. For me, I can literally, I can't even breathe because I don't have much. So when you're pressing it down, honey, mm-hmm. I see all the stars, the, <laughs> the moon and everybody just like pulling my hair. It, you know, for me, it hurts. Um, but then again, it's because I, um, I've not been blessed there. I don't have the, the potences. I have little tiny mangoes, (laughs) (laughs) but that is mine. So Dr. Nafi, you're on. Thanks guys for sharing. So I, I think, um, my first, um, (laughs) mammogram was actually a few years ago, a few years ago. I was in, I was in 40 and, uh, I did it because. I started noticing, I actually felt a, felt a lump in my underarm, not on my breast, but like in my left underarm was where I felt a lump. And usually, you know, you're not too worried. Well, I wasn't too, too worried because I, you know, automatically started thinking, what could it be? You know, did I, you know, have like a, an ingrown hair under my arm or something like that that's causing that area to be a little bit uh, inflamed? So usually when you have a lymph node swelling or um, inflamed, it goes away in about six weeks. And if it doesn't, between four to six weeks, it should resolve. If it doesn't, then you want to follow up on it. So I noticed that mine didn't go down after a month. 
then I said, well, let me just go get it taken care of. So they actually did an ultrasound for me first. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that, like the different types of things you do for screening. Um, so they have ultrasounds and they have mammograms. So now the ultrasounds, you normally would do it for people under, uh, under uh, 40 years old. Why? Because their breast tissue is more dense and thicker. So people who are more voluptuous, they would need an ultrasound because that's the one that actually goes through denser tissue to see it. And a mammogram doesn't do it as much justice. It's not as clear. It's not as sensitive as an ultrasound would be. So I had an ultrasound done first, and then they followed it by a mammogram. Um, but luckily, it was just an extension of my breast tissue all the way up. I didn't know I had breast tissue all the way up in my underarm, girl. But I mean, I'm, I also like, uh, like uh, Anna, you know, I am a little bit blessed with the tits. So I <laughs> double, double D as well. So, uh, so I, I, I guess I can understand that it, ex it extended all the way to on, on, under my arms. And so that was my first experience with getting um, a mammogram done was to actually evaluate this lump I had under my breast. And ever since I was getting it done, you know, yearly, I actually just had my latest one um, right before I went to Gambia a few months ago was when I had it done and it was negative. So the experience, you know, it's not too unpleasant, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's not too pleasant is what I meant to say, you know, they squeeze on your boobs a little bit. And so it feels a little, you feel some pressure on the breast, which is not the, you know, nicest feeling to have, but it also is a very short period of time that you get that done, usually around 10 to 15 minutes. So comparing that to the benefits you're getting out of it, I would definitely encourage people to do it, not to be deterred by, oh, it hurts really, really badly. You know, the, the benefit outweighs the, the, um, the, the uh, cons to me. And so I would definitely recommend people to get it done. Um, so the mammograms, they have the, it's more of a 2D picture of the breast tissue that you're going to be seeing. But nowadays they actually have the 3D ones. They're called um, Genius 3D um, mammograms. And those are superior to the, um, you know, or the, the uh, original uh, mammograms, those were 2Ds, but these ones are 3Ds. And what they do, they're similar to the ultrasound. So now they see that through denser tissues, they're more, sen more sensitive. So I would recommend that when patients go to see their doctors, rec request that. Ask your doctor, hey, is it possible to get a 3D one? Uh, mm -hmm. And if you look it up online too, um, you can find different locations where the 3D mammograms are offered. So those ones are more sensitive. They're more superior to the to the original mammogram ones. So definitely, definitely check that out and try to get that if you can. So Thank we'll, you, Nancy. Sure, sure. So we'll pass it on to you, our esteemed guests. Um, I just see Sinjai. If you can share your journey, your experience, and we will be in the listening phase just to hear, mm -hmm. and then we can come up with any questions that we have, and then. Uh, we'll keep the conversation going. So you have the mic. So first of all, before I even start, I have boob envy right now because you guys are so blessed. <laughs> this one has the batances. This one is, also has the batances and the other one has the mangoes. I am at a limon. 
so I have, I have proved envy all the way. I was barely an A, if you know what the brass size is at. Barely an A, okay? So I have boob envy all the way. But to go back, uh, so my journey started uh, 2013. Whew, I can't believe how long it's been. Um, yeah. So it's been uh, a couple of years. Uh, it started off, uh, like I said, I had really, really small boobs and um, I felt a lump one day. And I was prone uh, growing up to having cysts uh, or what we call tabs. Mm -hmm. So honestly, that's what I thought it was. I ignored it for a couple of days. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Falida, came over. Uh, she's a physician's assistant. And so mm -hmm. I was like, hey, you know, I have this thing. I want you to fill it um, if you don't mind. And then she felt it. She was like, well, it's not, doesn't feel like a cyst because it's not fluidy. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so uh, she said, you know, I think you should go get it checked. Well, everybody knows um, in the U.S. you have to have insurance to have these things done. And I had just started a new job. Mm -hmm. And so okay. I did not, my insurance hadn't kicked in. So I told her, I was like, man, my insurance doesn't kick in until September. Mind you, this is July. Um, and she was like, okay, um, okay, I'll get back to you. So she ended up having uh, the doctor, one of the doctors that she works for, um, she works with, uh, volunteered to do it for free. Uh, and I got the diagnosis that it was uh, actually breast cancer. Uh, oh. so I got the diagnosis, yeah, July, July 19th. And then I went in at the end of the month, I think it was the 28th or 29th to go get it staged. Well, when they did the biopsy <clears throat> to get the results, uh, they found out that when they measured it back then, and then from what it was, uh, on the 28th, uh, it had gone from a stage two to a stage three. So I have the more aggressive kind. Um, Dr. Nafi can elaborate on mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was more hormonal. Uh, mm -hmm. I did the, the BRCA. It was more of an estrogen one. Mm -hmm. um, so because my boobs were so small and it was so close to the chest wall, uh, they had to alter the protocols a bit. Um, we had to start with chemo. Um, and then chemo therapy for about six and a half months and a radiotherapy and then um, that's when they opted for the surgery. Honestly, I tell everybody that cancer is not painful. It is a treatment that sucks. Mm -hmm. so for me, uh, the six and a half months, yes, was hard, but I was truly blessed to have amazing, amazing friends. And one of them just happens to be on this phone call. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I cry sometimes when I think about it as how amazing they were. A supportive husband, a family that's super supportive. And so it, it wasn't a journey alone. Um, mm. And so, uh, yeah, that, that, that was, I think, the biggest boost that anyone could ever have. Uh, you know, they did the cancer walks with me. Mm -hmm. uh, they took me out. They, they, they were so supportive. I, I just, you know, I get emotional every time I think about it because I think I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, so after I went through the treatments, uh, of course, you know, the hair falls out, everything mm -hmm. falls out. Uh, uh, it, it was, it was rough. Um, and, uh, so at the end of the, both the chemo and the radiation came the, the surgery decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I opted to get at that point to get a double mastectomy mm -hmm. because again, Dr. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Nafi can, can elaborate more on this, that, you know, 60% mm -hmm. chance if you have it on one, it's going to come back. 
Mm-hmm. And I did not want to have to go through that. I had, you know, come, come to Jesus conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I decided to have a double mastectomy and a reconstruction done. So now the reconstruction, I had the option. And I swear I wanted to have Pamela Anderson boobs. <laughs> <laughs> that was my goal. I was Live your life, girl. That everybody is talking about because I wasn't blessed with them by God. <laughs> and um, so that was my goal. Uh, but however, when we did the the expanders, and you know, I go in every week, and then they'll they'll increase the, mm-hmm. the saline in there. Mm-hmm. My back couldn't take it. It just could <laughs> not take it. My back was hurting so bad. He kept saying, "Well, if you want Pamela Anderson, we're gonna keep going." Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I decided to stop at a C. So I am mm-hmm. a, a perfect C now, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't have to wear a bra. Thank God. And they're perky, and I look like a thirteen-year-old—not <laughs> the Pamela Anderson ones, but they're still perky. So my boob envy went down a bit, but still, uh, <laughs> I wanted to have those tank tops, you know, the, the skinny, skinny tank tops with the big mm-hmm. boobs and, and walk out. Girl, I had it all planned out. But anyway, it didn't, didn't work out quite as well. Uh, so as of right now, everything is fine. As as, as they say, you are in remission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I hope I continue to be in remission uh, for a very, very long time from the cancer. Mm-hmm. However, with the, the chemotherapy, um, mm-hmm. because it was so aggressive, I developed mm-hmm. uh, secondary symptoms. I ended up mm-hmm. having congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. I needed to have a defibrillator and a pacemaker. Uh, and that was done in 2016, 2017, I think. Um, so, you know, that's something that I, I'll have to deal with for the rest of my life. But so far, Alhamdulillah, I am healthy, annoying, uh, loud, uh, <laughs> sharing my voice and my story everywhere to anybody who would listen. Um, my, my goal for this and, and when I started my, my foundation was to save one life. And I can mm-hmm. say that, you know, I have, I have done that quite. I hope I have done that. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Nafi was here when we did the the screening. Uh, we were yes. able to screen. Yeah, we were able to screen 406 patients. Uh, we got a, a bunch of positive ones, but we made mm-hmm. a difference. And you know, mm-hmm. with COVID, we were not able to repeat that process again. But mm-hmm. hopefully, next year we're in talks with Senegal again to do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, this year there has been a lot of awareness um, in mm-hmm. the Gambia. And I supported different organizations. Uh, various ones had different screenings. Of course, not with the mammogram, but mm-hmm. but you know the the ultrasound ones. Um, different hospitals, different clinics were doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Did the rounds on social media, the radio stations. So I think the word is getting out there. But my concern is up country. You you have some of these people who come from up country and it's very late when they get here um so i think the awareness needs to be done up country and you know we we are working to get get the message out there amazing amazing oh my gosh i am just in awe listening Mm. to your story aida and i wanted to rewind it a little bit to go back to when you found out that you had cancer my question is how did you tell your kids and your husband so uh, when I got the news, actually, uh, my friend Falida was trying to reach me that day. And for some ungodly reason or godly reason, I don't mm-hmm. answer my phone very often. 
And so mm-hmm. she ended up having to come to my office. But before she got there, she had called my husband and told him. Um, oh. And so she came, she came that it was bad news. And so when I came, we called the doctor together. And honestly, Nafi, I was at work sitting on my desk. And all I heard was it was cancer. I literally dove under the table. Because at that point, I have these four-year-old, five-year-old, going on to five-year-old twins. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do. I, um, you know, cried. I decided I was going to drive myself uh, to home. Mm-hmm. I cried all the way to my house. Uh, and when I got there, my husband was there. And, you know, he said, we're going to fight this and we're going to beat this. Um, and that's when the fight started. I disclosed it to my family and my friends. And, oh, my God, I cannot tell you the wave of support that I got. So it that, yeah, it was rough. Wow. You know, support helps. Yeah. You know, um, let me come in a little bit. Like, you know, you're saying that and I'm just literally reliving, right? You know, when things the whole um, thing, I know. Right. Like when you when you um when traumatic things happen in your life, you always recall like everything, like mm-hmm. every step of the way. Like mm-hmm. when good things happen, I feel like sometimes you don't remember, but like mm-hmm. I still like when as Ida is speaking, I remember exactly where I was standing, what I was doing, <laughs> you yes. know, what I was wearing exactly yes, when indeed. i was like, looking in the mirror like i remember the exact like as she's as she's talking right now i'm literally reliving that moment when she called but funny thing is two weeks before that because remember i said i used to go for my mammograms and stuff so mm-hmm. i'd be the one calling and saying to my friends mm-hmm. you guys need to check your breasts you guys mm-hmm. need to do this you need you need to mm-hmm. do that right and i remember yes. talking specifically to ida hey, I go and do this. And she's like, how does that feel like? And I'm like, I don't know, but I just know it's hard. And so when she called me to tell me that, I asked her, how does it feel? And, you know, (laughs) how does it feel? Like, how do you know? Like, how did you know this is was? Because here I was scared shitless. I'm thinking, oh man, this is it. Like, I'm I'm next. Because Mm. here, like, I've been going to the doctor all along. And I remember going to her house in her bathroom. I don't know if you remember that. And you took it off. And then you were like, here, touch it. And when I yep. touched it, I was like, oh, shit, this is different. It yeah. was, yeah, it was big and yeah. it was hard, like very hard. Yes. I just remember Indeed. that. And that feeling, like every time I do mine, when I feel anything that hard, I get scared shitless because I'm like, oh, my God. Because I experienced yours, like I could feel and touch that. And it was, I remember exactly the area. But, you know, as you're speaking, like I'm reliving that moment, like, you know, because we all were affected by it. We were, we were all um, you know, yep. obviously we were very young, you know, you had the kids, we all like had, you know, young children. But I think for me, it took me to a place where I was scared more because mm-hmm. of my history. And mm-hmm. then me already having experienced that. So because of, you know, Ida and what she's been through, I'm like more rigorous with my exams and checking because mm-hmm. I'm like, if it can happen to her, it can definitely happen to me. Right. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. Every time she tells me she has an appointment, I freak out. Every yeah. time when, when she was going to have the surgery, she wasn't going to tell me because I was freaking out. Mm. And, you know, I, I keep having this conversation. I keep saying I have this conversation with God that, hey, I took it, took the bullet for my friends and, and my family. So please, I don't want anybody else to go through this. Mm-hmm. And every time she has one of those, I'm like, you know, I took the bullet. We, we had an agreement. I took the bullet. You can't do this to the rest yeah. of them. So I, I think, you know, that support um, works it really does because if not anything they saw it firsthand and mm-hmm. i'm not one to hide anything they they know i am an open book mm-hmm. when it's rough i call them and i cry when mm-hmm. it's good you know when i want ever this is what we do when we're throwing up this is what we do together and so they were there 
some of them mm-hmm. had to fly in from out of state to come and go to chemo with me. So when I say mm-hmm. a support system works, it works. Absolutely does. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I have a follow-up question for you, Ida, because of course, certain risk factors for breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, such as genetics, are inherent mm-hmm. to an individual and cannot be changed. So as you're sharing your story, I'm thinking, um, did you ever sit with your mom or your dad or any of your family members to find out if breast cancer was in the family? This is prior to you finding the lump and going through your process. Did you grow up in a family where you discuss your diseases? Because I know coming from a Gambian mm-hmm. background, we hide our diseases. We hide mm-hmm. our ailment. We're mm-hmm. not forthcoming. We're not open. So I'm just wondering, like, did you know or was this just a shock to you and everybody else in your family? So I, uh, my parents were divorced when I was 10. And so I grew up with a mom who's, my mom is Aku. So, you know, they're very strict but she's also very open um so for sure it did my mom doesn't have any sisters um, her mom passed away when she was at, at, at birth childbirth so i don't have it on my maternal side mm-hmm. at all um so i knew that for sure um, my dad's side in the family was a different story i asked i actually initially when i first got it the doctor asked me these same questions like i want to do the test to find out where it came from so mm-hmm. i did the BRCA test um Amazingly enough, it came back, you know, it wasn't in my family, it was negative. And so, but something just told me that, just ask. So I asked my dad about his sisters and, you know, his extended family. Hmm. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, you know, I remember some, you know, my older sister uh, passed away, or her daughter, so my, her, so my cousin uh, mm-hmm. passed away. And they said that, you know, my dad was like, I don't know. I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, they don't tell us anything. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, I just heard about it, but it was even mm-hmm. in passing that I heard about it. So then, you know, I, I kept probing. Uh, one of my aunts lives, lives in Dakar. So I called and I asked her. And she said, yes, you know, this is what happened. You know, then your daughter Moko Gihon, but she never recovered from it, ended up killing her. And then her sister also, um, which is my aunt, yeah, also passed away from the same thing. I said, well, mm-hmm. you guys need to share this stuff mm-hmm. so people know. Mm-hmm. So that's how I found out that on my dad's side, you know, they mm-hmm. have it. But immediately my immediate family know. We don't, we don't have it. But it took me having to take the test and mm-hmm. asking a bunch of questions for mm-hmm. me to find out. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in right quick just to give a little bit of some of the risk factors because I know Anna asked about that. And I heard um, Ida mentioning that she had to take a the test. Test. Yeah, to, to see if she was positive for the BRCA1 or BRCA2. So... The different risk factors for uh, cancer, any kind of cancer, but in this case, uh, breast cancer, is genetics. And so sometimes the different genes that we have in our bodies, they help, um, let's see, they help make proteins, right, that repair any damaged DNAs we have in our bodies. 
But if your genetics are mutated, like if you have certain genes in your body that's mutated, mutated means it has changed or morphed or something is irregular about the genes. So it therefore does not do what it's meant to do. So the proteins that these genes regulate to help repair every um, damaged DNA. So now those proteins, if they're kind of mutated, they're no longer um, um, repairing those damaged DNA. So they let those um, damaged DNAs go unchecked. And that's once it becomes unchecked, it causes overgrowth because the body, it's a very well-regulated circuit. Anything that enters the body, if it doesn't belong there, your body fights it. And that's true infections and stuff. And so if any cells are growing out of order or, or, or you know, disorderly sort of uh, speak, your body will attack it, will kill it and get rid of it. You know, it's kind of like a, a thing in the body where it checks every cell. And if it finds any cells that are acting cray cray, it says pretty much we have to kill this cell and get rid of it because it's not good for, for the betterment of the whole body. It can go out of control. So but people who have mutated genetics, what happens is once that unregulated cell is noticed, the body cannot get rid of it because you, you have some kind of a mutated um, like policeman in your body. Right. So to speak. So they're not able to kill that mutate that 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 um, abnormal or or damaged DNA cell, and so it grows and grows and it grows rapidly, and then so pretty much the cancer cell becomes like a parasite, and it overgrows. It takes over all the nutrients that your body needs and all of that stuff, and so your body it's pretty much the host, and so the parasite ends up taking over. And in some cases, it kills the host. And that's what happens when people die of cancer. So uh, the BRCA gene, what it is, is if it is mutated, you will see families where they have more ovarian cancer. You'll see um, pancreatic cancer or sometimes metastatic um, prostate cancer. You will see it in a family. So that's why it's really important to know our family history. We all came from a background where, you know, it's a sutra culture. Nobody talks about what diseases are in a family, you know, it's all hush hush. And so we'll go on living, not realizing what risk factors we have. Like in the case of Ida, she now traced it back to her dad's side. And so also it's people need to be aware that the breast cancer, it sometimes can happen in men. If there's a genetic mutation of this BRCA1 and 2 or, or 2, um, the breast cancer can actually happen in men as well. So mm-hmm. what I would tell people is that the risk factors is the genetic part of it. If you have a mutated genetics uh, that you know your mom has or somebody in the family has, go get um, what we call genetic counseling and they can screen you and, and find out if you have that or not. I think one of the most well-known people who's had this done was Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. Her mom had BRCA1 or 2, and her mom had breast cancer. So when Angelina Jolie found that out, she went and did um, the genetic counseling, and she found out that she was positive for that gene, mutated gene, which means it's just a matter of time before she got it. So she opted to get double mastectomy, got rid of all her breast tissues, and she had... Uh, uh, surgical reconstruction to have like, you know, implants put in 
that way she, you know, eradicates her risks of having breast cancer because of the, the genetics. Another risk factor would be if you have a first degree relative, meaning your mom has it, your, 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 your sister has it, you know, or a daughter has it, or even a father or a brother, because I remember I just told you guys that they, men could also have it based on the, the BRCA genes. So if you have a first degree relative who has or has had breast cancer, that doubles your risk of having breast cancer. And if it's a second degree relative, as in Ida's case, like her aunt, her cousin, that also increases yours threefold. So um, things uh, like obesity has been found to be linked with, with that and use of alcohol, but not so much in our community in Gambia, right? But um, women who do not have children, interestingly, have an increased risk and or women who started having children over age 30 also for some reason it's an increased risk so these are things that we need to be very mindful about and um, a really unfortunate statistics that we all need to know is that african americans or black people i mean when it comes to uh, numbers as far as these cancers so the statistics is that overall white women are slightly higher in developing, like risk is higher in developing breast cancer overall. But 40% of breast deaths is, is African-Americans or Blacks. Like 40%, we have a 40% higher uh, risk of dying. And so why is that, right? We ask things like that. And, and it has, it, you know, it ha it's, it's multifactorial, of course, you know, not testing early or even not testing mm -hmm. at all. So in our cultures, we have this thing where we say, I don't want to know. I'm just going to stay oblivious about it. And so sometimes that causes us to be um, detected late, right? Not testing or having late detection, meaning by the time you detected it, it has spread, right, mm -hmm. to a lot of the body. So therefore, it's harder to, to treat it successfully. And also, there's what we call quality of treatment is also that it varies, right, between uh, uh, the our white counterparts and people of color. Um, things like implicit biases, right? Meaning, you know, we have these stereotypes that we, we, we pose uh, or we possess, right? And uh, it affects how we understand or how we behave or interact with other people in an un unconscious manner, right? I remember this story vividly and I sh I'm, I'm going to share it just because it brings awareness that when you go to the doctor sometimes, and this was, this, this was while I was doing my medical training, I remembered my first medical uh, uh, residency. We were walking around going to, you know, from, from patient room to patient room, and we were with our attending. Our attending was the superior doctor, and we were kind of following him around. And we walked into this room, and there was a lady there who had breast cancer. And uh, the guy... Uh, he was a he was an, an uh, like a breast specialist, you know, oncologist, and so he pretty much decided when we saw the lady, we walked out to the to the hallway to discuss this lady's issues. He pretty much said, you know, she doesn't look like the type who would be following up on her treatments, so I think I'm just going to give her basic treatment. Hmm. This lady was an African American woman. And so the fact that he looked at her and came up with this decision 
based on his implicit bias or stereotypes that, oh, mm-hmm. she might not even follow up. So why give her the best treatment? She might not, you know, she might not even make it. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. give her the minimum kind of treatment. That opened my eyes as medical professionals, especially for us to carry these things around and decide who should get what kind of treatment. And there's a study, there's different studies about this that, that, that has been done that shows that white women are more likely to get the aggressive type of treatment offered to them than their non-white counterparts. So if you go to a doctor and they offer you some type of treatment for something, it is within your rights to get a second opinion. If you don't feel like you're, they're treating you the best way that, you know, that, that you, in your gut, you feel like maybe I should be getting better uh, things offered to me, go get a second opinion and try to find out for sure if that's the only kind of treatment you have. That stayed with me up to today. And then uh, for me to think about that lady in that room could have been my mom or my sister. You know what I mean? And here's somebody giving them that type of, uh, of, of, you know, carefree attitude of, hey, I don't think she'll follow up. She doesn't look like the type that would follow up. And I was shocked to hear that, that this my, man that I am looking, you know, up at and, and, and I admire as, a, as an attending physician is having that kind of, 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 of an implicit bias and making a decision for a woman's life based on, hey, I don't think she would follow up, you know, anyway. So let's just give her the basic treatment. So that's something that, we want these, these all equate or, or amount, you know, adds up to why the 40% higher death rate in breast cancer in blacks than other people. This is, these are some of the reasons why. Um, but I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll um, hand it over to Anna or our Mary or even Ida, if you guys have any other questions to add. And uh, I'll circle back around and talk a little bit about um, like maybe treatments and stuff like that that are available. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Nafi, for sharing that. Um, it's always great having you as one of our hosts, especially when we're discussing medical conditions or we're discussing anything in your field because you really break it down for us and we get to understand it because I didn't really understand the BRCA testing until you just broke it down. I was like, okay, now I get it. But my question um, is for, for Ida. You know, when you have children, the worst thing you can imagine is something happening to them. But then the next worst thing is something happening to you because you don't want to leave your children behind. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest worries for a parent. And so I wanted to know when you were diagnosed and it's, you're going through the process and it's already physically tiring and you Mm -hmm. have two young children that need you, what did that do to your mental? How did you take Mm -hmm. care of your mental health care? I know you said you had a lot of support, but maybe you can share with us like how the support stepped in to help you and how did you manage? Did you journal? Did you have, you know, crying spells? Like how did you deal with it? Having your children Mm -hmm. there, having your husband there and knowing that you were going through something like this. You know, like, like I was says, when, when you talk about it, you relive the whole thing and like I said, when I got the the call uh, and I got home, you know, my daughter ran out and said, mommy, why are you crying? I said, no, I'm not crying. Yes, you are. I said, oh, it's my contact. But then why is it on the other eye? If you know my daughter, she's one of those who would always ask questions. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> Our nose. 
and mm. so I said, "No, honey, I'm not crying." And I went inside, and mm-hmm. and um, and you know, Serene Serene was so so supportive and said, "You know, we'll deal with this, and 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 you know, we'll fight this." To me, I felt sorry for him because it meant he had to be the parent, mm-hmm. and so okay. the kids were five. And, you know, I, I had to explain it to the kids that I was sick, that mommy was sick. Um, and, you know, she kept saying, are you going to get better? Are you going to get better? Yes, I'm going to get better. Um, there were some days or some weekends. I, I scheduled my chemos to be on Fridays. Mm-hmm. And some Fridays, uh-huh. you know, I will take them. Or some Fridays, you know, Yetta will take them or Falida or somebody will take them. That way I'll have the weekend to recuperate. Uh, I still maintained my job because I felt like, you know, if I stayed home and just loathe in that, I was not going to make it. Um, I also had a therapist um, just to deal with the fact that, okay, this is still here. It's happening. We're not going the normal protocol because it's aggressive, but anything can happen. Um, I I had a, 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 you know, medical issues prior to that. And so, for me, I'm just like, this is just another thing. Maybe this one is going to kill me. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 I did go through the crying spells. Uh, I can tell you they were not easy. Some days we'll just stay on the phone. I'll just boo. Um, you okay. know, and, and, and so, yes, you know, she's saying you, it's going to be okay. You, you'll be fine. Helps. But then there's some days I'm laying there in the, in the bed with my husband and I, I just, I'm like, you have to take care of these kids. We did so much to have these kids. And he's like, stop saying that. You will be here. But, you know, you kind of sort of battle sabopa, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it is a reality. I'm not special. Somebody else died from it. And I may not be that lucky person to survive it. So these are all things that, you know, you did. And I can tell you, I'm like, y'all better take care of my children. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on them and, and, and so on. But, you know, it's tough. It really is tough. And all you can think of is your children. The husbands can move on and find another wife, but your children lost a parent. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not something you can replace. Wow. That's actually one of the questions I had. I was going to ask you that, but you answered that beautifully that, you know, at any point while you were going through this, did you ever think that, well, this is it for me? I might not make it, but you did answer that. And and like how you got through that by doing like talking to somebody, doing therapy, having friends and family like help you out. So this is really helpful. And sometimes I think in our communities, we go through these diseases alone because we're trying to be quiet about it. We don't want anybody to know, you know, especially in, in, in Gambia and stuff, right? And um, some of the things that we need to do, and I think that your organizations or like how you guys are raising awareness in Gambia, it's very helpful, is, is through educating people and letting people know it is okay to go get screened. Because sometimes the thing is, what we what we're afraid of what we don't know right, right? and so mm-hmm. sometimes when when because i remember this distinctly ida when i did the um cancer screening with you guys a couple of years ago while i was in gambia one of the women that i saw you remember this because I, I i showed you the picture um one of the older women who came in to be screened i swear to god i have never seen something that looked so scary 
in my life. And I have seen a lot of these types oh, of yeah. things. But I, we, I, I still have the picture. It took blew pictures of my it. mind. It blew yes, my mind. Indeed. This lady yeah. came in. I don't know if she was in her 60s or I'm not sure how old she really was. Or so 70s. I'm not sure. Um, but she took out her breast and it was her left breast. And that breast looked I, I don't even know how to describe it. There were just ulcerations everywhere, lumps, and like it was getting eaten up from the inside out pretty much without being too graphic. And when she took it out, I honestly wanted to run out of the exam room because I was mm. so scared. But then I had to remind myself, I am the doctor. And if I act a certain way, she's going to freak out, right? Like I literally had to step out for a second. I said, I'll be right back. You know, and then I walked outside to just, you know, get my composure. And then I came back in the room to talk to her. I talked to that lady for like 40 minutes, trying to convince her of different things she could do. Like, you know, there's a surgeon you can talk to, you know, like, and I think you guys had a surgeon available that we were able to contact for her to like go and talk to somebody and, and see if she can have that breast be, re you know, removed or whatnot. She, this lady, refused to get her breast cut off. She mm -hmm. said that makes her less of a woman. But mm -hmm. mind you, she's probably in her 70s, right? Mm -hmm. So, but, but in her mind, you know, we cling on to these body parts as if mm -hmm. they make who we are. Just like in Gambia, when somebody has diabetes and then you have like an infected foot and mm -hmm. it's supposed to be cut off and you swear to God, you don't want your toe cut off. You would rather be dead. And in most cases, you leave it in there. It goes through your whole body, causes mm -hmm. sepsis, and you die. But most people are willing to take that death over getting one part of their body removed. So we need to talk about that stigma, right? And in cases where the woman had breast cancer and her husband said, you better not cut off your breast or else I'm leaving you. Like, what the hell? You know what I mean? Bye. And so we need to get in there and talk to people, whether it's in the cities or in the villages, just to sensitize people. If you feel a lump or you see a little, um, some kind of an ulceration on your breast, do not wait it out. We put ourselves last in health. We always take care of everybody else. Oh, yeah, I have a little lump on my breast. I'll take care of it when I can. While you were talking about it, Ida, I thought about it when your friend told you to go get a mammogram and you said to her when it and it was in 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 uh july you said you were not able to get your um insurance thing situated until like september mm -hmm. had you waited till september mm -hmm. to get this thing looked at i mean come on like we could be talking about something else right but that's the thing. We cannot wait. We need to make sure you see a little lump. You go and get that taken care of because otherwise it grows into something else. And so go ahead. Go ahead. Was it Ida or Anna who was going to say something? It's me. I was just, um, I want to keep the train of thought before I forget because you're bringing up very important points. So I want to take it back to Ida and her experience in hearing from a breast cancer survivor, because sometimes it's one thing to hear general information, but, but it's different when you hear it from someone who's been through mm -hmm. it, lived it, and mm -hmm. is here to talk about it. Alhamdulillah, what a mm -hmm. blessing. And um, Ida, you shared that when you went home and you told your husband, 
you almost felt bad because you're like, now he has to be the primary parent. Now he has to be the lead parent, which is very typical in especially black um, and African family settings where the mother is the lead parent, right? I'm sure you do all the shopping for the kids' clothes. You know the doctor's names and and, and appointment dates. You go do all the driving for the soccer drop-off and pickups and, and you take them for ice cream and all these things. You're in charge as in you're the lead parent. Not to say your husband isn't the lead parent, but now you're looking at him like, I'm going through this, so you have to step up in a major way to mm-hmm. take on some of the things that I'm no longer going to be able to do. And I wonder also, of course, only share if you're comfortable. We know that breast cancer can, can change a lot about your life, including your mm-hmm. sex life mm-hmm. and some of the physical changes to your body, some, mm-hmm. some of the side effects from treatment, how, mm-hmm. how you feel about your body and sex, all that intimacy, it can be challenging. So I don't know if you can share anything about that. Did you guys have to like say, we're just going to put sex on hold until I feel better. Mm-hmm. Or are you like, we're going to improvise. We're going to figure this out. And because um, also in Africa, what we deal with is a lot of time when women get sick, it's almost like they, they give the man the permission to step out of the marriage. So I don't know what you're willing to share, but do you have anything that you can share about that? Just intimacy and going through breast cancer and how it changes the, the, the dynamics between the couple. She Ida, are you there? She might have muted too long. <laughs> yeah, she's or, still connected, but I think she's probably muted. Or she might be like, no, this girl is not trying to get up in my business like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I'm you a, know, like, listen, I must say, when you go to the doctor, right, mm-hmm. and just think about it in general. When you go to the doctor mm-hmm. um, and you have anything done from let's say that day that you went and checked your hoo-ha right or Mm -hmm. you know just your breast like for me like if if they've done a biopsy because I've done I don't know how many biopsies now Mm -hmm. I don't want to be touched I don't want to think Mm -hmm. about like that's the least of my worries so I can't imagine going through Mm-hmm. you know breast cancer and then having to be like yeah um mm-hmm. dude you get you know you're horny oh yeah like let's try mm-hmm. to do something I don't know I feel like that would be the least of my worries mm-hmm. and but then again you just I, I guess I guess you just never know um right, right you know how you feel I just remember like when Ida was going through it the amount of vomiting she did it was just unbelievable mm. you she eats whatever she ate and drank like she would be like I'm craving, you know, um, Moe's or I'm craving Chipotle or whatever. And then we'll get the food we're eating. Everything is great. And then next, like literally next minute, you know, mm-hmm. just like stop the car or, mm-hmm. you know, hold on, I need to vomit and everything mm-hmm. will come out. So mm-hmm. can you imagine then thinking about like, oh, yeah, yeah when I have sex, like, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know. I mean, uh, right. Yeah, I don't know if she would be. Um, but then again, I'm thinking me, but I didn't go through it. But I, I can't imagine that would be, that would even let's, be a thought. Let's right? check back with her. Ida, are you there? Can you hear us? Yeah, it might be, it might be connection problems. Yeah, it might, yeah. it might be. Um, yeah. So let let me then just jump in and, and talk a little bit about just the treatments and some other things. And because 
what you two are both talking about is is um, there's side effects to these treatments that we do uh, mm-hmm. for, for, for cancer. And sometimes they could include like decreased libido, you're dry down there, you know, your your you mean your hair's falling off, your you don't look or feel sexy, your nails are falling off. And, 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 and sometimes you can develop some, some medical conditions based, you know, as side effects of these treatments. So um, some of the treatments that they would offer is mostly surgery. And, and the types of surgery that they would give is uh, a, 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 a lumpectomy. So what a, lem- a lumpectomy is, if you have a lump on your breast and they remove it. So a lumpectomy... Hello. I oh, hi. I could hear you guys, but you guys couldn't hear me. I see. Ah, I see. Okay. Oh, I'm glad okay. you're back. All right. I'll let yes. you answer the question that Anna had for you, and then I'll, I'll dive into like treatments and stuff. So she, I don't know if you heard her question about romance yes, I did. and how that was like for you. I did hear that. Um, and, you know, I, I did explain how the, the, the vomiting was just absolutely horrible. But Mm -hmm. initially, um, you know, after the first, we started the chemo. Um, Yes, the first couple of weeks was like no sex at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, when we started the chemo, my hair started falling off. Um, Mm. That was a traumatic event. And my husband's bald, of course. He shaves his hair bald. And so, you know, I I think Hadim, my son, was the one who gave me a hug. And when he's, he backed off, some of my hair rubbed off on him <gasps> and he, he started crying because he thought he had hurt me. And so that's why my hair was falling out. My hair was pretty long. And so sitting was like, you know, I think it's time we, you know, cut it. Off. I mean, it was coming off like Velcro. And this was maybe about seven to nine days after the first chemo that this started happening. And so he said, you know, we'll just shave it off. And uh, I, I remember we were in my bathroom and I was sitting in a chair and he pulled the clippers out and, you know, he started shaving my hair. We're having this conversation. And when he shaved it all off, he looked at it. He said, well, damn, you sexy. <laughs> I said, you know what? This, this is so not the time for this. He said, no, just look. We look like the Boxy twins. You, we actually do look alike. You have a better head shape. I mean, he was making fun. He was making jokes. And I'm just like, this is not not the time for this. He said, no, really, though. He said, I really want to just, you know, hold it in the back, ride it from behind and just rub your ball head. I'm like, yeah, all right, all right. I'm doing that. He said, no, really, we need to try it. We need to try it. I'm like, we are not doing that. But, you know, Aww. he always, he is goofy. He really is goofy. And, and, and you know, so he, he, he tried to 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 have humor and so on and so forth, and uh, I really was not in the mood. It did did kill everything for sure. Right. But he was always very supportive, you know, with the flowers. He'll kiss me and you know rub my bald head, and you yeah. know when the hair started falling off in, in the private area and so on. He was like, "Ooh, now we're back to baby smooth, huh?" I'm like, "No, no. natural waxing, <laughs> natural waxing." He said, "Man, if this is the best part of chemo, I'm like, dude." <laughs> so you know you have to keep the humor going and and you know he was he was very upbeat in some days i'm just like i am so not in the mood but you know yeah it it, yeah thank you so much for sharing that i told you you can ask me anything you can ask me anything (laughs) 
You know, oh Anna will not hang up this without asking that. Um, no, I just, I just love that, you know, you're so open and willing to share. And also, mm-hmm. I think it's so important mm-hmm. for women to hear this and to mm-hmm. know that, you know, it's not a death sentence to your sex life with your husband. If mm-hmm. your husband is willing to also just see mm-hmm. what's happening take it for what it is and love you through it all. And, you know, he's making jokes about you having mm-hmm. a natural Brazilian. He's making <laughs> jokes about bad shots. And I'm like, oh my God, that is so great. And I wish we get a chance to, to, to interview him as well. Just so other oh, men yeah. can hear, just so other men can hear, like, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the perspective of a man who's had a wife, who's right. gone through chemo, who's gone through the process and he was able to love her through it Mm-hmm. cheer her on and and be Absolutely. faithful you know because Absolutely. we come from from communities where as women anything happened to us we're so quick to give our husband the past mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. that is not an option mm-hmm. we don't go there mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. listen y'all if we can, if we can hold the fort down while you had an erectile dysfunction, when it's not working, <laughs> you gotta hold us down when we're going through. Oh, I love Dr. Duffy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, when they get there, <laughs> eventually when they get there, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, like us women, we 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 stay we we stay through thick and thin, thin with our sure men. Do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could be go. I had I have family friends or family members who are willing to stay with their husbands who have erectile dysfunction issues but yo let it be the other way around and we'll oh, they'll, they'll vote they'd be out of there oh well, no, no, i mean no. it's for better for worse you i know. mean you gotta ride thick and thin with with your partner and it's Absolutely. amazing hearing about your husband and how he's so supportive and he didn't take that time to say well damn i need i got needs let me go find a second wife you know what I mean? No. Like, it's yeah. so important to highlight how, you know, when we have these types of men who are standing, you know, by their women through it all, you know, and not make these, you know, stupid excuses to be running mm-hmm. around and being chicken heads. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. This is amazing. This is amazing. All right. So let me let me give you guys a quick uh, like co- couple of little spiels here. And Ida, you can jump in and then talk about it a little bit as well. Um, so I wanted to do talk about the stagings right quick. And, and it's going to be very fast. So pretty much you mentioned that you when you were first diagnosed, you were at stage two. And within like a few weeks or something, you then progressed to stage three. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so for, for a lot of our viewers who don't understand, you know, a lot goes into staging and you know what I mean? Like uh, the size of it and how, you know, has it spread to like the nearby lymph nodes and stuff like that. That's what determines what stage you're in. So usually when a tumor is around two centimeters big, that's usually stage one. Right. And so if it's uh, between two to five centimeters, you know, like meaning it has grown a little bit, but hasn't spread. It's just grown in size, but still in the same location. So that's a stage two if it's between two to five centimeters. Now, uh, stage three is when the tumor is more than five centimeters. Right. And it has spread to some of the local surrounding tissue that's considered stage three. 
And the last stage is stage four. And we usually consider stage four um, fi- or terminal cancer or final stage or the metastasis stage, right? Like that means that your, your yes. cancer has spread to other organs of your body. And that's yes. usually harder to treat because now it's not just, you know, localized in one area. So if it's localized, it's easier to treat versus if it has spread throughout the body, like to your lungs, to your bones, to, to different brain, you know, different parts of the body, that makes it harder to eradicate all of those. And that would be the, uh, that would be stage four, which is the metastasis, uh, the metastasized terminal cancer stage. Um, and so some of the treatments, I guess, depends on number one, the, 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 the size of the cancer and also the type of the cancer uh, also uh, sometimes dictates the treatments how old the patient is, and how fast the cancer is growing. So in Ida's case, her cancer was growing much faster, so she needed a more aggressive type of treatment. Because some people, if it's a really small cancer, like a stage one, um, hasn't grown a lot and it's localized, so they could do surgery for you, which is called a a lumpectomy, which is just removal of partial breast tissues are taken out. And then it could be combined with, let's say, a radiation or chemo. Um, but Ida, in your case, you had all three, right? You had surgery, you had chemo and radiation? Yes, ma'am. So that's very, that's very aggressive because not everybody yes. gets all three of them, like the surgery, the chemo, and the radiation. And the chemo yes. part of things is mostly um, like IV drugs, IV medication. When I say drugs, I mean it's medication. Um, yes. IV medication is, is pretty much put into your body and it pretty much is just like chemicals, right. That are pushed into your body, you know, I, you know, through your veins and it cleans out cells, but mm-hmm. it's pretty, what, what it pretty much does is it's, it's like a poison, right. Looking for yes, all the cancer cells. Yes. How, right. But another thing, yes. the, 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 the other side of this is that it's supposed to kill all the cancer cells, but it also kills regular cells because sometimes it cannot differentiate and so it gets it kills the good and the bad cells in the process of hoping to kill all the cancer cells right and that's where your hair falls off it it affects any tissue or any cell that's fast growing your nails your eyelashes your hair right eyebrows yep Mm -hmm. and and so all all those get removed and usually with, with chemo, you do it in cycles, right? You do it like for a week or something, and then you, yes. you have a rest a rest phase, which is a couple of weeks of rest so that the body can recuperate because you don't want to pump too much of that chemo chemical in the body. You could kill somebody with that, right? Definitely, definitely. Right. So you want to make sure you do it one cycle. You let the patient's body recuperate a little bit for a couple of weeks, and then you hit them with another cycle. And uh, for the radiation, radiation, what it is, it's just high dose of like intense beam energy that you are, you know, like doing to a person's, you know, uh, body. And mostly it's done to kill or shrink the tumor. Like, for example, a lot of the brain cancers that we see, if it's pretty big, what you want to do is you do radiation first, like a beam radiation through uh, you know, the, the brain to the tumor and it shrinks it down. And then after it shrinks it down enough, 
then you can go in there and do the, the, the surgical part of it by cutting it out. But sometimes you do the radiation first and then you go in and do the surgery to, to help shrink the area first. And all of these, especially the chemo and the radiation, they may have long lasting side effects like in, in Ida's case, right? Some of the chemicals they do the treatments with to kill the chemo uh, cancer cells, they may cause, let's say, enlargement of your heart, fibrosis mm -hmm. of your lungs. I mean, it can cause some serious side effects because these medications are no joke. And I'm sure you can attest to it that it can cause other Indeed. medical conditions, right? Yes. Yes, it does. It absolutely and, does. And so it's not, it's not easy at all. So while you're going through the chemo, they would be testing different things, seeing if you've all of a sudden developed any heart issues, any lung issues, and sometimes certain radiations that you've done, it can end up um, increasing your risk of certain types of cancer also Cancers. later on. So yes, it's, it's, it pretty, it's a pretty tough journey, you know, overall. But the, the fact that you were able to have the chance to get this type of treatment is amazing because in Gambia, we don't have all these treatments available to most of the women there, unfortunately. Um, no, we do I, not. I believe we, we, we have some type of surgery available. Um, yes, so the they, have, they have this surgery, general surgery, mm -hmm. to remove the lump or mm -hmm. remove the breast. Mm -hmm. um, however, chemo and radiation therapy is mm -hmm. not available in the country correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, as as you share that, I wonder. You know, I know the most unsexy part about this is the cost. What is the cost? Um, for you, you had shared that you were working and you were waiting for your insurance to kick in, and you decided yes. to stay working while you were going through the process because you just didn't want to stay home and and give in to it. So I want to I want to believe you still had your 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 health insurance. Um, help cover did it also cover the cost of your reconstruction surgery or was that something you had to pay out of pocket if, if you don't mind sharing no not at all so for me when 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 I actually got the diagnosis I didn't have insurance um, so again my friend Felida uh, there's there's several different in the U.S. we have several different organizations that will help cover it mm -hmm. um, she called every single one from from North Carolina to Idaho um, and, and found one called the Angel Network. I had to fill out a couple yeah. of paperwork, uh, send in, send in um, you know, some, some, some paperwork, of course. And I qualified and they covered my all of my treatments 100%. I still walk around with that letter. Wow. Um, that they covered everything 100%, even the, 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 the reconstruction surgery. They covered um, the therapy. They covered even uh, to drive me. The, to the sessions um but i didn't need that of course um they they also offered to have uh uh, uh, uh what, is it, what is it called an aid to come to the house and help i didn't need that so i didn't didn't utilize that one um but i did they did pay for the reconstruction surgery they paid for all of the medication um including uh you know the chemo the radiation piggyback of what what uh, Dr. Nafi was saying um, for the radiation therapy the reason why I had to have it remember I said I had very small boobs and it was very mm -hmm. close to my chest wall mm -hmm. so they wanted to make sure that it didn't hit the bone the chest wall itself mm -hmm. in the front and the back because mm -hmm. you know with with the surgery I did the surgery but they didn't see 
behind the chest. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the t- radiation therapy was for. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Well, and you know what? We should give a shout out to the Angels Network because girls, yes, they are doing yes, the indeed. damn thing. So they anybody's sure able, are. do they take yeah. donations? Because if anybody's able to donate, donate to them because we don't know who may need it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It could be our indeed. family members, indeed. our friends. That mm-hmm. is amazing yes. to have that kind of, of, of um, you know, program available to people. That's amazing. Yes. So and I this one was, that... was through Duke University. Yeah. Duke University. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, I was going to ask, um, with the work that you have uh, with your nonprofit now, what do you think is the biggest challenge, especially in Gambia, to take away the stigma and the fear behind just screening, just going mm-hmm. to check and making mm-hmm. sure, you know, someone's looking at it to let you know if there's a problem or if you're okay. And also finding out your history in your family and, you know, um, taking steps to make sure that you're getting ahead of it. What, what do you, what do you find with your work are the biggest challenges? So that's a twofold. Um, the biggest challenge, uh, Dr. Nafi can tell you is resources. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest challenge. Number two, as far as the, the patients and the people go, it is the sutura and mm-hmm. the not talking about it. Do you, I cannot tell you how many times I get scolded. People tell me, so fair, but I, or if you're sick and you get you know, cured, you, you don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I refuse to shut up because this mm-hmm. is how I am going to help the other person. Every time I do a round or every time I do a, a, a whether it's the TV, the radio, whatever the story is, I always give my phone number or I always give my email address or stuff like that. And people always call. Mm. There's <laughs> somebody who will call. Right before I came here, I had another event that I went to and there was this lady who was sitting there and, and you know, all of a sudden she started crying. And, you know, I had to stop. I said, are you okay? She said, you know, I lost my aunt to this. And, you know, we consoled her and she was fine. But as I was leaving that event, she called me and she said, I really do want to take the time to talk to you. So these are things that, you know, Mm -hmm. people have it bottled up and they Mm -hmm. need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. You may talk to an audience and one person is going through it and didn't tell you. I had one yesterday who there were students and this little boy, he was about maybe 11, 12. Mm-hmm. caught me outside as I was getting in the car and said, I think what you have is what my mom has. Mm-hmm. She said, she's home. She's always crying at night, holding her boob and she won't go mm-hmm. to the doctor. So tomorrow I have to go, go, go meet this boy and go meet the mom. So these are things mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't talk about in Gambia. Mm-hmm. And these are things that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, here, I can refer him to a few doctors here who can even look at it. But we don't have an oncologist. We mm-hmm. don't. We, we, just recent, we don't. We just recently got a pathologist and it's a husband and wife team who came from Nigeria. But mm-hmm. they're dealing with so much backlog. I cannot tell you how long it's going to take you to get your, your, mm-hmm. your results back. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sending people, you know, the team that came from Senegal, we still use them. We still refer people over there and we beg them, you know, for treatment. The last time I went to the, to the, to Dante hospital at their, their chemo center, they have a 20 bed um, chemotherapy ward. 
and nine of those people were Gambians. When I walked in there and I started talking, one of the ladies was like, you're Gambian guy. I said, yes. And then nine of them were like, oh my God, we're Gambians. Mm. And I stood in the middle of this hall and just cried. I said, I wish my government could see this, that these people are here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them are staying at little, you know, hotels because they don't have family there. Some mm-hmm. of them are selling their life savings for this. It, and some of them are there with no support. Mm-hmm. Nobody is there with them because they cannot afford it. Therefore, they're over there and, and have no support. People not there to help them. I cannot tell you how many people I take food to when mm-hmm. I'm in Dhaka. But these mm-hmm. are things that we don't talk about. And we wow. need to talk about it. So this is our issue. We need to talk about it. Today, those ladies that I talked to, I'm like, every single one of you, your challenge is that we need to speak up about this. Even if it's you, go home and talk to your mom. We need to speak up about this because, frankly, this is something I love to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm tired of talking about it. I need other people right. to come up. For three so years, I've been looking for, for a you, survivor mm-hmm. to, to come forward. I still cannot find one. Wow. But I know there are people who survived it. There are. That's the problem. Like, we are so scared to come out and share because our families are saying, don't do it. You know, then your business is going to be out there. But then we love to hear other people that are brave enough to come out and share their story. But we're not willing to put ourselves out there. That's why I like this platform, because I like that we sometimes make it a bit personal like when we all talked about hey you know if you're having you know if you're going through it you know like you have some mental challenges or whatnot stresses anything talk to somebody and we try to normalize that because I would say hey when my parents died I had grief counseling I saw a therapist you know what I mean absolutely most people wouldn't want to say that I mean give me a damn break no I said when I when I had cancer I lost my mind I did they reeled me back to sanity but I lost it and you know that's the question that I was gonna ask you how about how many other people have come up because I know you've posted like a couple on your you know what's up but I I mean no sorry Facebook but I know they're not even in the in in the Gambia in Gambia none of them and yeah, that's why I was doing are. that right wow. there's one 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 girl uh who who sent me a message and said I should give kudos to her mom um I posted mm. her publicly on Facebook it's uh Auntie Inanyai and mm-hmm. um I I yeah, I called her because I wanted her to come on a platform with me and talk about it. And she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's not. Yeah. And and so she another wouldn't. question that I have, um, I'm glad that because you guys are saying that, you know, there's no oncologist, et cetera. So I just have a question because to all of you, I'm not sure that I know the answer either. Um, so maybe Ida or maybe Dr. Nafi or maybe Anna, you've heard something. So it was like a couple of days ago, or maybe last week or sometime. I checked um, Facebook and I saw like a huge graduating class of doctors in the Gambia. Are yes. they doctors? Or oh, I'm confused because for me, I'm like, there's not a four-year degree that gives you become a doctor. So I'm trying to understand it. Um, so are they really doctors? Because I mean, I'm dumb at this point. Like I don't understand. So please like elaborate. Maybe if you understand. Um, or before, are they before, just graduating it? So before you even say anything, I saw that post on Twitter and I asked the question and got okay, backlash good. like nobody's business. Really? Oh boy. Then I said, I'm just asking. Does, uh, any of these mm-hmm. doctors specialize in oncology? Mm-hmm. And amazingly enough, somebody texted uh, me a message and said, what's that? 
Oh my yeah. God. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. So maybe well, Dr. Nancy can it. elaborate because I don't understand. I really, really don't. So, so when they say I they're don't. graduating doctors, they're not doctors. They're just graduating. A I don't know. So okay. um, um, the thing is that this is one of the reasons why if you study medicine outside of America, mm-hmm. you are not allowed to practice in America. That's true. That's because, true. Because the educations are different. The trainings are different. And they cannot tell who has a good, um, you know, pretty good training. Mm-hmm. And so, and so in America, the way that I know how it goes is you do four years of undergraduate college, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you do four years of medical school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. after that, you do what is called after you graduate from medical school, which is what I think these people are doing in Gambia, they graduated from medical school. So technically you have finished medical school, but you have not trained yet to become a doctor. So here, after our four years of medical school, we then do what's called a residency, residency. which uh-huh. is your training to be a doctor. You, so, so you do that for either three years or more, depending on your specialty. Mine well, was for I, well four correction years. is I the think they don't, I think the ones that are graduating is four years. It's not eight in Gambia. It's so four years. If they're graduating four they're years bachelor. of college, so they yeah. pretty much just finished uh, medical school. So yes. they okay. are brand new. They don't know anything. They haven't. Nope. So, so pretty much they have to go train for another at least three or more years to become physicians. And okay. so well, don't you um, think seven? Because that's the first four years, right? Oh, so they're not even doing, they didn't no. even do. No, okay. no. We don't have master's level. Well, if they don't have undergrad, and so there are programs, though, that from high school, you go to it, and it's a seven-year program, I okay. believe. Okay, right, okay. So I in see. Different, yeah, yeah. yeah, in different I, parts of the world, okay. it's like that. And okay, uh, okay. so, but even after you finish that seven-year program, mm-hmm. then you have just finished, uh, you know, uh, re- uh, sorry, um, medical school. Cool. Again, right. you, mm-hmm. are, you are not a doctor because Mm -hmm. you finished medical school right right it's like somebody who just graduated from college and have Mm -hmm. not even ever had a job yet right experience correct Mm -hmm. you have to have training but so if you throw all these people at hospitals i know we need it so Mm -hmm. we're we're mass producing all these people Mm -hmm. but they have no training yeah they will have training they will learn as they go but Hmm. Without much supervising, there could be a lot of damage they're doing. Right. That's Two true. Patients. Well, that ends that, that ends is that question happening. So that's the that's yeah. the, that's the other side of it. Because in America, if you finish medical school and you start residency, you are not allowed to practice on your own. Your own. I don't. Yes. I don't know if the people in I Gambia are they are they allowed to be practicing on their own? I, right I don't know. That's why I was asking. All I, those I questions. Not a, I'm yeah. not clear about that, but mm. if if that's the case, that would be negligent. This, this, yeah. This so I don't a... think that's the case. So um, that that post was put out there because they're trying to encourage young Gambians to see that you can actually get your um, medical degree in Gambia, and so that people can move away from 
trying to be lawyers because we have so many students that mm-hmm. go to school. Everybody wants to be a lawyer. We oh. don't need any more lawyers. What we actually need. No, we do not. Are, yes. What we <laughs> actually, actually need. lawyers. <laughs> are, Anna, Anna, we need lawyers to sue these doctors for malpractice. We do. Well, that that part yes but i think it was i agree just, with that part yes i think it was supposed to encourage young gambians to look into the medical field mostly what happens is once they've graduated with their medical degree because that's what they mm-hmm. graduated with most mm-hmm. of them then move on to ghana where they do their mm-hmm. next four or three year residencies Training. and mm-hmm. then they, they most and then some go to england to specialize and then mm-hmm. they come back as doctors so yeah. I think they just ah. jumped the gun by saying, hold on, doctor, you graduate me. Yep. But it was just it's just to encourage them so they can keep on the journey, mm-hmm. so doctor. they can keep pushing so, forward. Anna, you just made it worse. So they're not doctors. I'm like, which one are they? <laughs> <laughs> they're just graduating. They're degree holders. They're right. just graduating with their medical degrees. Oh, and most right. of okay. them will move forward to other African countries to do their, their residencies. Some of them will end up going to the US or, or, or UK or Europe or Sweden so they can specify or mm-hmm. specialize. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. some might come back, some might not come back. Because we know once they leave and get that experience out there mm-hmm. and see what hospitals actually look like, most of them don't want to come back. And also there's the pay gap, right? So you're there, you're getting paid all this money and you're like, why would I come back to Gambia and lose mm-hmm. 75% of my salary? So mm-hmm. I think that's what that post was. But just to go back, because we need to wrap up. We've been mm-hmm. here for a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, for, for Ida, I just wanted to say thank you so much. From being a survivor mm-hmm. to being an advocate, it is yes. so admirable because so mm-hmm. many people, as you've already shared, in our Gambian and African communities, we survive and then we sit with the story and we yes. and it dies right there. We don't try to write books. We don't start podcasts. We don't start blogs. We don't write articles. We go through it and we just sit on it. And what you're doing is exactly what we need more of. Mm-hmm. People who've gone through it have the lived experience, and now you're advocating for other young Africans, other Mm -hmm. young women, Black like you, African like you, who can relate to your story and say, if she did it, and Mm -hmm. if she has the courage and and the bravery, I can see myself doing it too. So Mm -hmm. I cannot even, I don't have the words to thank you. This is why I told our Mary, we cannot have October pass us by (laughs) without having your best friend on here so we can hear her story and share that with our audience. So Mm -hmm. if you have any parting words, we're open and then I'll pass it on to my other host. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I I was so excited (laughs) when she told me about it. I'm like, yes, but you had already texted me about it. I'm like, I will beat you to it, but I'm so happy to be here. And if I have any parting words is, if there's any survivors who are listening out there and, and especially here in the Gambia and you've, you've survived it, please, please, please reach out to me. You can find me at, uh, on Facebook, uh, either on Facia, Facia's website, Fighting Against Cancer in Africa, or on Ida Sisenjai, or at Survivor 2013 on um, Instagram. I would love to talk to you because I know the audience is tired of me and my voice and my talking <laughs> Uh, and and my story and and they would love to hear from somebody else because you know to be really honest I was lucky it didn't happen to me here but I want mm-hmm. to hear somebody who went through it here and how they over overcame that so I would love to hear it. even if they don't want to share their story I would love to to be the voice 
to talk on their behalf if they cannot do it. I would even do it anonymously, but I just want to hear somebody else's struggle from here. Mm-hmm. And that has been the biggest challenge. Um, and, and, and to all the women out there, please do your, your monthly self-breast exams. Go, go if, you find, if you find a lump, anything abnormal, unusual, go see a doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. And we need to put ourselves first. I know it is a very selfish thing to say, but we women need to put ourselves first because if we're sick, the whole family is sick. Mm-hmm. And we are no good to anybody if we cannot mm-hmm. take care of, if we're not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree for sure. Oh, man. And we just need to normalize knowing our bodies. We do. We just, you know, and it starts from young girls, like when I go into schools and we talk about like, you know, the type of FGM, for example, and just looking at your vaginas and like knowing your body, your breast. I think it just needs, we need to have those conversations. Like it's okay to look at your vagina. It's okay to know what's there, how it looks. You know, it's not just like you wash and go, like you need to look at it, look at your breast, feel it. You need to know how your body feels, your stomach, like all your body. So when something shows up, I mean, lumps don't, just don't show up on your breast. Like it could be on your leg, on your stomach, and your arm. That is like, true. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just know your bodies. Like look at them, touch it, feel it. Know how you feel. Like what? Uh, it's just it's so amazing when you really are used to that. But it's like the body is just for you to wash and go. Like you don't even take time to really know it. And uh, you know that's one thing that I think that we just need to normalize uh, more in our in our communities well said well said ladies um I would just say in parting um just I mean Ida I cannot thank you enough for coming you know just the bravery it takes to like put a face to this disease that people are so dreading about and to actually you know uh make it more human, you know, so that everybody can know that, oh my gosh, there's an afterlife to having cancer. You know, it's not always a death sentence, you know, Mm -hmm. I truly appreciate you coming out and being the face of it because it's not easy, especially in a, in a culture and a community where people look down on others who come forth and talk so openly about their experiences. Mm -hmm. So I definitely applaud you for that. And just, you know, for our listeners and the community, you know, whether it's in the diaspora or in Gambia, make sure, make sure that you are in tune with your body, you know, and look for like signs of breast cancer, which includes like lumps on your breast, on your chest, or even under your arm, like your underarm, your armpit, look for, you know, lumps there. And then um, if there's any pain, any redness, or if you even feel like this, you know, changes on your breast tissue, it looks more like uh, like skin dimpling or it, it looks like it's more red. Or even if you have discharge coming out of your nipple, that is not milk. Or if it looks bloody, these are all signs of breast cancer. And with that mm-hmm. said, though, not all pains and lumps in the breast is cancer. So we don't want you all to freak out. If you see a lump um, because sometimes you have some kind of a breast pain because there are other diseases like fibrocystic breast disease. You just have cysts in your breast and those usually come 
um, they're mostly um, hormone changes related, right? During your periods, your cycles, you know, you'll feel more pain, more lumps and stuff. And there's other ones called fibroadenoma, which is just benign uh, tumors that you have um, in your breast. So, So not all lumps and pains is cancer. So don't freak out. But the most important thing is when you do feel that, make sure you go see a doctor. Don't put it off. Go see a doctor and have them, you know, do some workups and some imaging, mammograms, ultrasounds, whatever it is, and so that you can have, you know, uh, 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 you can feel, you know, better about it and be reassured if it is not cancer, right? And so um, it doesn't matter how old you are. So I know for you, Ida, how old were you when you had your cancer? 33. So you were 33. So yeah. what, what you want to make sure that for your daughter, because you have a daughter. Yes. So yes, usually indeed. it's at 40 that you start screening or 10 years younger than the age that your relative had it. Yes. So for your daughter in her 20s, even she can she get started to reach out just to be yeah. sure. So it's different ages for everybody. The general age is 40 to start a mammogram. But if you've had it earlier in your life or your family member has had it earlier in their life, you go by the age that they were diagnosed and go 10 years below that. And that's when you start screening. And it's every year. It's every year for everybody. Once you're 55 to 74, it's every two years. And uh, after, after 75, then, hey, Girl, hey, no reason it's to a wrap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrap, indeed. indeed. But thank you so much. So, thank yeah, you, Auntie the Ida. Things. Yeah, thank you guys for it. having me. You guys have been a great, great group. I enjoy it and keep doing what you're doing. I have fun listening to your podcast. So thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. you. Our, I mean, Anna, any last